Now, in the country of Indonesia, Islam is by far the largest religion. And there are many Christians there, but for the Christians who live in that country, life can be very difficult. In fact, persecution has been on the rise for followers of Jesus Christ in that country. According to the World Watch List, Indonesia is the 28th most dangerous country in the world for a Christian to live out his or her faith. And the Christians most at risk of persecution there are the ones who have converted from Islam to Christianity. People like Tari. Like so many millions of people in Indonesia, Tari grew up in Islam. But as a teenager, one day she heard a Christian song, and she liked what she heard. So she started listening to more Christian music, and as she did, she decided that she wanted, she wanted to know the one true God. So she prayed and, and asked God to, uh, to make things clear to her, and one night God did just that. As Tari was sleeping, she had a dream, and in that dream, she was walking along a road towards a bright light, and she heard a voice say to her, I am the way and the truth and the life. Well, that was kind of strange. She didn't even know what that meant. So later, she did some research, and that's when she discovered that these are the exact words that Jesus spoke in John chapter 14, verse 6. So Tari, she sought out a Christian relative who answered some questions for her, and that's when she decided to give her life to Jesus Christ and begin following him. And the change in her life after that was, was evident, and she didn't try and hide it either. She got baptized very quickly, and she started wearing a cross necklace as a symbol of her new faith. I understand that these are common things that people do in America, too, get baptized, wear necklaces with crosses on them. Uh, but here, there is little to no price to pay for these things. That wasn't true for Tari, and she knew that. In fact, on the day she told one of her mentors she wanted to be baptized, she even said that whatever happens later because of it, well, let it be. She quickly began sharing the gospel with others, but sure enough, like so many Christians in that land, opposition wasn't far behind. One day as she was in her neighborhood, some other teenagers saw that cross necklace and ripped it right off her neck. Not long afterwards, when she was at home, her mother found Tari's baptism certificate, and she became so enraged with her daughter that she would convert to Christianity. She became so angry that Tari had to flee her own home in order to save her life. But despite what she has gone through, this young lady has not doubted the faithfulness of God. And I share her story because when Tari gave her life to Jesus Christ, she clearly knew that it was a dangerous decision. But she didn't let the possibility or the reality of persecution keep her from openly living for Jesus. Well, from the things that she said to the cross she wore to the baptism that she engaged in, she wanted people to know that she's a follower of Jesus. That, that she's a new person. So I read that story this week, and I started to think to myself, church, how is it that a young Christian in a persecuted country is more willing to boldly live for Jesus than many of us who live in a country where we are free to openly share our faith? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's true for every Christian in America. What I'm saying is that some Christians are bold. Are we? What sets Christians like Tari apart is that the moment they give their lives to Jesus, they realize they must live a new life. Uh, what they were before, how they lived, how they acted, the things that they said and engaged in, all those things are behind them. They realize that life is now bound to Christ. Their identity is found in him. 
Now, to learn this truth is one thing, but to live it out, that's, that's something else entirely. To do so, we always need to remember that we have been made new in Jesus Christ, believer. Paul's going to talk about some more of this as we turn together to Romans chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you, go ahead and take it out. Turn to Romans 6 so you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible with you, as always, I'd encourage you, use one of those Bibles in the seat in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 914. Page 914, Romans chapter 6. With a brief recap, last week when we were in Romans, we saw the truth that Christians, we no longer live under the reign of death. No, we live under the reign of grace. And then we read those incredible words Paul wrote. He wrote that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Maybe you remember that from last week. What he's talking about is how the depths of our countless sins show the greatness of God's grace in forgiving us. But sadly, Paul knew that some people would try and take what he said about God's grace and twist that and use his words for evil. So he wrote this, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? See, understand, Paul knew that some people would take what he had just said about God's grace and use it as an excuse to live in sin. And the excuse goes kind of like this. Well, because God's grace is always available to me, that means that this sin must be acceptable for me. This, this is an age-old excuse. It's the idea that my salvation and God's continuous forgiveness gives me a license to live in sin. And the truth is, many, many use this as an excuse for sin. For example, it wasn't long ago that some professing Christians were talking to my wife, who was not a part of these plans that they were making, and they were, they were laughing and talking about how, you know, they were going to go get so drunk Saturday. I mean, so drunk, they said, we're probably going to miss church at our churches the next day, but I'll ask God for forgiveness later. And when she told me about that, she was just so heartbroken to hear that that's what they were saying. But this, this casual acceptance of and shrugging off of sin is something that many professing Christians do today. And they do that by using that old excuse that, you know what, eh, grace makes my sin okay. And the reason this excuse has been creeping into churches for so long is because our enemy, the devil, continues to use it with great success. Christians buy into this. They try and justify their sin by saying, well, it's okay if I sin because you know what? God's grace is going to be there for me afterwards. This excuse was around in the early church. It's why Paul wrote these things. It's why the book of Jude tells us that people were doing this. In fact, in the book of Jude, it says that people who do this, who use God's grace this way, it says that they are perverting the grace of God. So to anyone who would try and claim that that's what Paul was teaching, that God's grace is a license to sin, Paul says, no way. He says, that's not true. He says, we died to sin. We can't live like that anymore. Then he said this in verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized and in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So to explain why we are no longer to live in sin, Paul points to baptism. And I want to explain something. I want to explain the reason that this example he gives should carry so much weight with his listeners. And the reason is because every Christian should be able to identify with this. What I mean by that is this. In the early church, the idea of an unbaptized believer, an unbaptized follower of Jesus Christ, well, that was unheard of. Uh, to be a follower of Jesus was to also then be baptized. The moment someone gave their life to the Lord, they were baptized. We see examples of this all throughout the book of Acts in the early church. All right, The Ethiopian eunuch was with Philip, gave his life to the Lord. He saw water, boom, he was baptized. The day of Pentecost, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus, boom, baptized. This is the pattern that we see. But somewhere along the line, churches decided, especially it seems in America, that baptism is not that important for us as Christians. That's why you meet so many unbaptized believers. But of course, believers in other countries understand the importance of identifying with the Savior, even if that baptism results in persecution like it did for Charles. And the point is that if Jesus is your Savior, if you've gone to him for forgiveness and salvation, then understand that baptism is not only for you, it is the next step for you in your newfound faith. Paul explains a lot about baptism here. You see, when we're baptized, there's a reason that we tip you over and put you all the way into the water and then bring you up. And it's not because it's a trust exercise. I find myself having to guarantee a lot of people that if I put you in the water, I will bring you all the way back up. And I have never lost anyone through baptism. But that's not why we do it. No, Paul explains that one of the reasons we baptize this way is because baptism is a symbol. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, so when we go down and are buried into the water, it's a picture, a symbol of Jesus' burial after he died on the cross. Then when we come up out of the water, it's a picture of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Now, when we do this, we are declaring our identification with our Savior. So he died on the cross, was buried, and then rose again. All right, then baptism, I also want to make sure we understand this, baptism is for the saved, but it does not make you one of the saved. All right? To drive that home, one Christian illustrated it this way. He said, if you took a bottle of ink and you corked it real tight, and you tied some string around it, dragged that bottle under the water, how long would it take to clean the inside of it out? Well, obviously, we know that you'd never clean it that way, right? And in the same way, baptism cannot clean your heart and save your soul. Only Jesus can do that. And so we must go to him in faith. Then baptism comes as a symbol of what Jesus has done for you and in you. But okay, why does Paul bring all of this up? Why is he talking about baptism right now? Paul makes it clear, you know, Jesus died for our sins. And Paul says that the follower of Jesus has died to sin. Jesus rose to life eternal, and we have entered into a new life through faith in him. One pastor put it well, baptism shows that what is true of Jesus physically is true of us spiritually, believer. 
And Paul's argument is, we can't use this age-old excuse that grace is permission to live in sin when even our baptism, which should have come early in our faith, even our baptism declares that we're dead to that old way of living. No, no, no. It tells us that we're supposed to live a new life in Jesus Christ. So how can we live in sin any longer? I mean, even our baptism shows that that age-old excuse is a lie. But the danger for us, believers, is when we forget who we are in Jesus Christ, and then we return to living the way that we once did. So Paul said this in verse 5. He said, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. But we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Paul has just given us a lot of incredible truths in just a few verses. I mean, believers, not only are we raised to a new life in Jesus Christ, but in him we've received eternal life. And we look forward to our future resurrection uh, when we are raised in a glorified, imperishable body, when we will live in eternity with him. All these things are true because we've been made new in Jesus. But if we're new, then the question is, what happened to the old part of ourselves? Paul says that our old self, you know, when we were ruled by sin, when we were living under the reign of death, when we were headed for hell, that old part of ourself has been crucified with Christ. We've been set free from that sin, that fear, that separation from God that we once lived in. Now, does this mean that we never sin? No, that's not what it means. We still make mistakes. We disobey. We fail at times as God's people. It means, though, that sin should no longer define us, believers, because we're not hopelessly bound to its rule anymore. Well, then that leads to the question, why do we still struggle with sin? There's a lot that we could say about that, but for today, we need to understand that one problem we face as Christians is when we choose to put back on the old self. When we choose to go back to the old way of living before Jesus rescued our soul. When we put back on that old self, that's when we start to buy into this excuse that, well, it's okay if I live in sin. After all, God's grace is there. But in order to reject that lie, that excuse, we must reject our old self and that old way of living. You see, there's a reason we need to be reminded by Paul that the old self has been put to death. It's because we are prone to forget what Jesus has done for us, and then we start to live like he isn't in us. Listen to the instruction that we're given in Ephesians chapter 4. It says this. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, 
and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, the good news, believers, is that we are not hopelessly bound to sin anymore. Through Jesus, we're able to defeat temptation like never before. We're able to live in righteousness like never before. And we do not have to give in to every whim and whimsy of the sin nature. Many great pastors of the years past have masterfully illustrated this using the example of Lazarus. I think that example bears repeating. In John chapter 11, Lazarus is a man who we find got sick. After he got sick, shortly afterwards he died. And he was buried. And he was in his tomb for four days. By that time, Lazarus, like all corpses, would have begun to emit a foul stench. In other words, Lazarus was as dead as dead can be. And then Jesus came. And from outside the tomb, Jesus called for Lazarus to come out. That's when the power and the glory of God was demonstrated, when this dead and decomposing Lazarus was revived and walked out of his tomb. That's when Jesus told the people, he said, take off his grave clothes and let him go. Believer, you and I were once lost sinners living under the power of death, hopeless in our struggle against sin, living foul lives in the sight of God. We were as spiritually dead as dead can be. And then Jesus came. We heard the good news that he died on the cross for our sins, that he powerfully rose from the dead. We put our faith in him as our Savior. In that moment, he brought new life to us. And we need to put off our old self, just like Lazarus was to put off his grave clothes. I can imagine that on that day, Lazarus, he threw those grave clothes away. He didn't need them anymore. I mean, think about it. How silly would it be if Lazarus had held on to those clothes, wrapped himself up in those every once in a while for comfort from time to time? We would think that's pretty foolish. Why would he do that anyways? I mean, he wasn't dead anymore. He was alive. And that changes everything. Well, how silly and foolish is it, believers, when we put on our old self at times, give in to our old sinful habits, our old ways of living. We run to old sins for comfort, and we try and, and justify it. We claim that, well, this grace of God gives me a license to sin. Paul says, how can we do that? He said, we died to sin. The old self, the person you once were, when you lived helplessly in sin, that part of you is gone. Now, does that mean that you'll never sin or struggle with sin? No, that's not what that means. But it means that that way of living shouldn't define us anymore, believers. Just this past week, I was talking to a new believer who was telling me how now that he's in Jesus Christ, he doesn't, he doesn't have the same desires that he used to have. He wants to live a different life. And this was incredible to him. We talked about, yes, that's what it is to have Jesus Christ live inside of you. But we also talked about the fact that our enemy, the devil, will try and come at times to convince us to live that old life. Good news is that the old self was crucified with Christ. So now this is what we need to do. Look at verse 11. Paul says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. 
but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. So what are we supposed to do? We still struggle with sin. We still are tempted to give in to that excuse that grace means sin is okay. In order to continually put off the old self and to reject those old excuses for sin, Paul says we must count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Count ourselves. Other translations say reckon ourselves or consider. In other words, we must recognize who we are in Jesus Christ and accept the truth that we are dead to sin and alive in him. When we are willing to recognize O Christian, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, then we won't be found wallowing around in the filth of sin. Instead, we'll be found living for God, because that will be our desire. We need to accept the rich truths of who we are in Jesus Christ and then choose to live accordingly. About 100 years ago, John Wendell and his sisters were one of the wealthiest families in New York City. Uh, their real estate empire would today, uh, in today's economy, be valued at about $1 billion. That's how wealthy they were. But despite having more money than most people could ever dream of, this reclusive family lived as if they were poor. Uh, their home was lit with gas lights. Their meals were cooked on an old antique coal stove. They wore very outdated clothes. They had very small wardrobes. Uh, when they left their house, which wasn't often, they went by carriage instead of car. And they rejected all modern conveniences, like there were no telephones in their home or anything like that that were available to them. They were known by most people in New York as the Weird Wendells. Most of us would probably agree. It does sound strange that despite the resources and the freedom that they would have with all this wealth, that this family chose to live in difficulty. And how strange is it when we as Christians, who have this freedom and all the resources we need in Jesus to live righteously, that we choose to live in difficulty and in the disobedience of sin. Believers, faith in Jesus has brought this sweet salvation that we enjoy. Salvation brought freedom, and that freedom is not for the purpose of living in sin, but living in righteousness. So now we must recognize who we are in Jesus Christ. And who are you, believer? You are a new person in Jesus. When he forgave your sins, he cleaned you inside and out. It's true. We will fall into the filth of sin at times. When we do, we run to him for forgiveness so that we can get right back to living for him again. Church, my encouragement to you this morning is that we would all join with Paul who said this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And believers, I would encourage everyone here to memorize this verse so that you would remember it in those times when you face temptation. Paul said in Galatians 2, 20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Christians, 
in this life, the world, the flesh, the devil, will all constantly try to tempt us to live like the world, to indulge in sin, to live the way that we did before we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. In fact, the devil would love nothing more than to see God's people live ineffective lives for God's kingdom. We need to resist the lie that God's grace is an excuse for sin. When those moments come when we are tempted to justify our sin that way, we need to remind ourselves who we are in Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. We are dead to sin. We are a new creation. That changes everything. So believers, remember this truth every day. Every time we face those temptations, remember the truth that everyone who is in Christ has been called to live a new life. Everyone who is in Christ has been called to live a new life. So are we living a new life in Jesus Christ? Believers, what areas of your life do you see that are not surrendered to the Lord? In what ways are you living like the old sinful self before Christ saved you? When people look at your life, they see a new creation. Are you justifying sin in your life? Or are you eagerly living for Jesus? Believers, if you're in Christ, then we need to live like it. So as we prepare to close during this final time of invitation, this song, believer, I'd encourage you, uh, maybe you're here and, believer, there's a sin you've been holding on to for a long time. But you know that you need to let go of it. Bring that to the Lord in prayer. Maybe you've been justifying your sin, making excuses. You need to confess that to the Lord. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you need to follow through in baptism. If that's true for you, know that we'll baptize you today before you leave. But maybe you're here and you aren't in Jesus Christ, which means that Jesus Christ is not in you. In other words, you've never gone to Jesus for forgiveness of your sin. You've never put your faith in him as your Savior. If that's true for you, then, friend, please understand the Bible is very clear. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's commands. And the problem is that our sin separates us from God. And if that sin is not taken care of in this life, then when this life is over, we'll be separated forever from God in a place of torment called hell. That's the bad news. The bad news gets worse because the Bible says we can't make up for our sin. Good works, going to church, being generous with others, none of these things can save us. The good news is that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for all the things that you and I have done, for all those sins we've committed. He took the penalty for us. After he was buried, Jesus powerfully rose from the dead three days later, proving that he isn't a mere man like me and you. He's not a human. No, he's the son of God. He's the only one who can rescue us from sin and hell. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you have never done that, we want to give you the opportunity to do that before you leave. Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's true for you, if you're here and you know that Jesus is not your Savior, please understand you do not need to leave that way. Please understand that no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going through right now, Jesus has been waiting your whole life to save you. If only you will run to his open arms. If you'd like to do that, please understand, you can come talk to me during this final song. We can pray together. But if you're ready right now, I don't want you to have to wait another moment. You can go to Jesus in prayer and pray something like this. 
Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you died on the cross for me. And I believe that you didn't stay in the grave, but that you rose from the dead. And Jesus, today I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sin and to be my Savior. Today, Jesus, I am giving you my life. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here who made that decision, that you would show them today, this week, the truth that they are a new creation. If there's anyone here who still hasn't made that decision, I pray that you would show them every day their deep need for you. And Father, for those of us who have, give us strength in those moments when temptation comes and we feel the urge to put on the old self or to justify our sin, to abuse your grace and your forgiveness. I pray you would convict us in those moments so that instead we would run to you for strength. We would live a life that pleases you so that we would show this world what it means to be made new. Father, during this final song, I pray that you would show each of us here how we need to respond to these truths in Romans chapter 6. If there's unconfessed sin in our life, sins we've been holding on to, excuses we've been making for sin, convict our hearts. Father, I pray that this final song, whatever it is we bring to you in prayer, would bring you great glory and great honor as we leave this place prepared to live as new creations in Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. But your great grace reminds us every day that you love us more. Help us to always thank you for that.